0: Welcome to Business Unveiled, the podcast designed to help you thrive in the creative community. Here's your host, events and productivity consultant, Angela Profit. Hi, y'all. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Business Unveiled. Expert tips and secrets from top creative industry professionals, where we take you behind the scenes of our past experiences in the creative industry and share with you what we have learned from them and how they have made us stronger. This podcast will help you grow a productive and profitable business to launch you into success within the creative industry. Before we get started today, I wanna ask you something. Are you looking for the missing piece of the puzzle to grow your business? Well, I want to invite you to watch my free online training on how I went from hobbyist to celebrity wedding planner and how you can do it too. You will discover the puzzle pieces that will absolutely transform your business from hobbyist to like, hell yeah, I can do this full time. On puzzle piece one, I'm going to go all into personality. Puzzle piece two, how to keep the high-quality clients happy. Puzzle piece three, I'm going to talk about what separates the good from the great. On four, best-kept secrets to profitability and all about implementing the strategies. And five, if you're going to attract the best, come on, people, you got to be the best. And then I'm going to show you how to create the magic and put it all together for you and your clients. So don't wait another minute. Go on over to go.angelaprofit.com. That's G-O.angelaprofit, two Fs and two Ts, com. And watch my free videos and download my free workbooks that will take your business to the next level. Welcome to another episode of Business Unveiled. Today, I am so excited, like so excited to interview Bobby. I know him as Robert Allen Young. He is the owner and founder of Covert Results. And if you don't know what covert means, we will talk about that because I didn't know what that meant. So I actually had to Google it. So Robert, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thanks for having me, Angela. I appreciate you inviting me to your podcast today.
0: So you've been an entrepreneur for about a year now?
1: That's correct, right about 13 months.
0: So what is Covert Results exactly? Like what exactly does the word covert mean?
1: Our business name, Covert Results, means two different things. Covert means secretive or clandestine or stealthy.
0: Wait, I don't know what any of these words mean. Can you please speak English?
1: (laughs) Google.com will help you. So, basically, it just means if you're doing surveillance on a cheating spouse or some sort of insurance job, you don't want to get burned. You don't want to get found.
0: Why you got to jump into the cheating?
1: Well, that's what everybody thinks a PI does. So, there's so much more that a private investigator can do. But that is what covert means.
0: Awesome. So... I know you very well, but for our audience members, let's set this podcast up so they know what they're going to get out of it today. So a couple things that Bobby does, not only does his company offer private investigations, but they do security, they do training. He is a published author and just launched a book. Um, What's that book about? Just high point.
1: Gray Rise and Fall of 1422, it is about the largest cocaine seizure in Nashville history.
0: And we shared a few clients, which is awkward, but before we jump into that, let's tell our listeners a little bit about your background and what exactly did you do before you jumped into entrepreneurship, before you launched Covert Results, and then decided to share your story with your book. So those are the high points that we're going to talk about today, but what's your background?
1: Well, I attended Middle Tennessee State University, got a degree in criminal justice, so I knew that I wanted to do something in criminal justice, and investigative work was the path that I wanted to go. I didn't want to be that cop on the side of the road that was writing tickets to people because that's just kind of boring. So, I did want to choose to do lengthy and complex investigations, so I entered the Metro Nashville Police Department. I knew they had many different units that I would be able to move, move around and move up, and I could do that quickly with hard work. So, beginning in 2007, I entered the police academy. I graduated the academy after six months and started moving up the chain very quickly where I met my goal after a couple of years and made it to a narcotics unit. So then we started focusing on small-level dealers, and eventually I wanted to get to large dealers.
0: So for people listening that don't have a background, I grew up, we grew up, with a dad. Robert is my little brother. If you haven't seen us on Facebook or InstaStory or any of that together, then you must not be following me <laughs> because... <laughs> We've been on a roller coaster journey of entrepreneurship together for about the past year and a half, I'd say. Um, But our dad, we grew up with our dad being in drug task, um, law enforcement. Um, I mean, Robert, you can talk more about that, but we grew up with that. And so I think first, let's even back up before you went to MTSU, like growing up as a kid, why were you passionate about law enforcement and drugs and helping the community? What like are there specific stories that you remember that happen with dad where you're like, oh, I want to make a difference in someone's life and in the world?
1: Well, I knew that he was he was a railroad policeman and that was a federal job. And at the end of the day, it's a great job. And that's what everybody should strive to do is they grow up. They go off to college, and they get a great job.
0: That's what, they're, that's what they're supposed to do, not what you should do. Let's rephrase that.
1: Okay. Well, entrepreneurship didn't really exist in our family. So until you brought it to us, other than Uncle Charles, it didn't really exist in our family, so it wasn't an option. So that's what we grew up with, so that's what we knew. So we knew that getting a good job with government pay and benefits is something that's, that's good. So one of the things that sticks in my mind the most is when Dad was doing a lot of the surveillance work. So with the railroad, there was a lot of internal crime, whether it be someone filling up their personal vehicle with the business credit card, all the way into people breaking into uh, trains where they were trying to steal military-grade equipment. French fries, frozen French fries. I mean, anything that you can think of, you name it, the railroad hauled it. So he had to cover all of that stuff, and there were so many things that went on because people laughed, like, what is a railroad policeman? And he often said, well, you don't know what it is until you're halfway to jail. So, But there was a long stint where he had a surveillance van, and he took me out on several quote-unquote stakeouts And he allowed me to operate the equipment. So he would be meeting with people and talking, and I would actually be zooming in on the camera that was mounted on top of the van. Like, it was some cool shit. It's something that you only see in movies. So I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And, of course, growing up, your parents are your mentors, and it's always good to follow in their footsteps, and that's exactly what I did.
0: Okay, so now we're up to going to college, and now we're in criminal justice. And after you graduated, you did what most kids do from our parents' generation. You graduated and you got a, a job, a JOB with Metro. And take us on the journey of when you started, where you started. I know you said you worked up to a narcotics department. What does that really mean? And tell us some of the cases that you worked on.
1: So what it means is you want to work narcotics related cases. I knew that I wanted to bust big drug dealers, large scale, complex investigations. I wanted to be the person to standing on a pile of kilos of cocaine or thousands of pounds of marijuana or pills or whatever it may be, heroin. And I wanted to be the one that took that organization down, also be the one to seize all of their assets, because that really makes an impact in the community. And as you know, we're seeing that right now. You can't turn on the TV without seeing opioid crisis, opioid crisis, opioid crisis. So it is a problem, and I enjoyed my job and the time I was there. When I started Metro, I knew one person, but when I left 11 years later, I knew thousands. So I built a good reputation. I worked my ass off. That doesn't mean there wasn't any obstacles that I had to overcome.
0: So I will say everything happens for a reason, and I feel like a lot of those obstacles, which I want you to share with everyone listening today, um, you know, a couple of things. And I feel like if those obstacles had not been challenges, you would not be where you are today. So all the times that you were pissed off or hurt or upset or, you know, whatever emotions you, you want to call it, you're sitting here today in the middle of the afternoon doing a podcast with me because you own your own business and you can do what you want when you want, how you do it, sleep at night because you have good morals and good value. So, I mean, the way that we were brought up. So tell us a little bit of insight, share with us some of those challenges through the years in your journey of working for someone else for almost an entire decade.
1: Yeah, so a little over a decade, and but if some people think, oh, a decade's not that long, typically law enforcement officers spend 25, 30, 40 years on the job, and that's great, and we need people like that, but I wasn't that person. At the end, the last straw, so to speak, I was sent back to patrol for the second time in three years, and it was not sent back to patrol actually means punished. That's the simplest way to put it because when you go from being on a high-level, high-risk narcotics unit, actually targeting drug trafficking organizations coming into Nashville, that requires a special skill and a lot of hard work and a lot of hours. So if you all of a sudden get thrown back in patrol, it is a punishment. I don't care what anybody else says because if somebody likes to work that hard, they don't want to be thrown back into a uniform and hitting the streets answering domestic calls and drawing work or drawing rec diagrams.
0: Well, I feel like what I'm hearing you say is you felt that you can make the biggest impact by really studying and really following. And it's not like you just you know, buy some weed off the street, or buy some pills, or buy some coke, like you really built relationships with people on the streets, like they know you. And they helped you get to the bigger people. And some of your bust, I know, would take two to three years. And so that's like the worst thing that you can do when you're on to something and someone says, like, oh my gosh, like, just shut it down. So which that will bring us to the book in just a few minutes. But so, so, you did a lot of different things, and tell them what happened um, at the end of what, two or three years ago, with your actual boss, and how, just from a deformation of character, like how dare they even accuse you of stealing.
1: Well, there's a whole lot that went on those last few years, which ultimately led to my decision to go ahead and retire, but what I want to say first is that without the time that I spent with Metro and all the training that I got, I definitely would not be where I'm at in my business, because I say that because I was able to learn so much, meet so many good people, and I was able to put that to use in my own business and have structure and organization and attention to detail. So let me say first that all of that time spent with the department was very important. However, there all obviously are a few bad apples in every job, police being one. And I hate when police do something bad and it's caught on film and then it's put on the news and it's blown up. And it gives the blue a bad name, and it's terrible. And it's you don't see the news targeting Chick fil A workers or UPS workers or Nike outlet workers because if they do something, it doesn't matter. Yes, law enforcement is held to a higher standard, and they should be. However, I just don't agree with all of the negativity that surrounds it at this time. So I still enjoy law enforcement, working with law enforcement, have plenty of friends in law enforcement still, and it helps me through my job today. That brings me to what you asked as far as the sergeant. So, we had a supervisor that was caught stealing money, basically.
0: But it was a setup. You got to like set the tone. So, close your eyes and pretend as if you were walking us through this shitty motel
1: so the sergeant supervisor which would be a lieutenant calls the sergeant and says hey i need y'all to get over here there's a search warrant that needs to be done another unit another department had left left from the motel and y'all need to pick up this evidence there's money everywhere there's marijuana everywhere but we need to get a search warrant So lucky me, I'm the one that my supervisor picks, me and him, right over there in the same car. This is only ever the second time I've ever ridden with this man in the same vehicle. So we go over to the motel off Elm Hill Pike. We go in, the lieutenant tells us what's going on, shows us some things. Me, being who I am and knowing the law, I started picking the evidence up. At that point, it's abandoned property, the story that was told to us was that they were Hispanics that had warrants and they were from another country and they were they were arrested on outstanding warrants and they would never come back. That was said to us multiple times. And I get it. It was setting setting him up, basically. It was setting the tone, setting the scene, but they had checked out. They were not coming back to the motel, so in my head... If the maintenance man walked in there and collected everything, then called the police, there's nobody to put on the seizure or to arrest or get a warrant, so what do you do? You don't leave it there. You pick it up, and you turn it in. That's all you do. But this was a little bit different. They set it up, and it was internal affairs, and they set the whole thing up with FBI, so cameras everywhere, recording, just... Just like you would think. Just like you would see in a movie. That's how it was. And it was a two-story motel. So I started searching downstairs. The supervisor started searching upstairs. It was a two-story motel. It was really weird. Long story short, the sergeant ends up pocketing about $5,000 and goes and puts it in his truck. However, I don't figure this out until later. But they allow me to get back in the car with the supervisor and ride back to the station. Then at the station, that's where some of the internal affairs detectives or officers, they actually, I see them putting on their gear, like, like putting on their bulletproof vest, walking into our office, and I'm like, what the hell is going on? So we figured pretty quickly when he was thrown in handcuffs that the sergeant was the one that took some money, and it was a setup, it was a sting, and the guy is dumb enough to be taking money i mean a lot of the cases that i've seen like i told internal affairs i had seen a million dollars in cash and didn't think once about taking a penny because you know what i don't like federal prison i'm not gonna be somebody's little bobo so
0: what's a bobo
1: i think that's probably rated r
0: (laughs) don't hold anything back
1: well We'll just uh, let your imagination take that one and run with it so but the point is is the man was dirty and he got caught for what he had to and he had to face the music he he did the crime. you gotta pay the time so if that is that how it goes?
0: I guess so 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 obviously, okay, so I'm gonna assume something here. They allowed you to ride back with him to see if you all discussed any of the money. Or if you were in on it or like, what was the raid where they came at you being involved in this? And you're like, fuck this. Like, I, I mean, our sister has been sick for years and I mean, it's put our family financially through strains, but hey, God keeps sending us business. And it's like, my God, if we were, if either of us were going to steal money, don't you think we've done it a long, long time ago? But we were not raised like that. We were raised to tell the truth and to have good morals and good value. So at what point, like, did you know when this was happening, like, I am so done, I'm going to find a way to get out of this because this is not, it's just not healthy.
1: Absolutely. And the lieutenant that was over the sergeant that was caught stealing the money after all of this happened uh, the next day. He was threatening us. The lieutenant was threatening us, telling us to leave, that if we didn't want to be there anymore, we could just leave law enforcement altogether. It was uh, it was really sad to listen to this man, this supervisor, telling you that you were basically a piece of shit. And we did nothing, knowing that he was going to throw us back in patrol along with the brass, along with the chief. They were going to throw us back in patrol. And again, as what I said earlier, that is a punishment. There was a team of 10 of us. We had probably three to four decades worth of experience. We had people that were meth certified. If any meth labs go out, we would go in and take care of them. Any fentanyl labs, we would go in and take care of them. We had so many certifications, and they just wanted to get rid of the entire team because, quote, unquote, it looked bad. Well, let me tell you what looks bad. What looks bad is when you actually keep the supervisors that were supposed to be supervising the supervisor. Tongue twister.
0: So, okay, so now we're, we're going down a, a little bit of a different pathway here. So you knew he was caught. You wanted to exit. And so let's talk a little bit about the political side of this. And no matter what industry you were in, I don't care what industry you're in. There are politics involved in every aspect, and it's all in how you play the game, which is exactly what business is. We're going to talk about that on another podcast, which will be really fun. But share with us, like, the politics side of all of this. Like, you know, you know the stories I love.
1: Well, it didn't start off for me so well, probably around 2012, I had a supervisor. This is not the one that was caught stealing the money. I had a separate supervisor that probably has a shady past, but we won't even go into that. And at first, this supervisor actually liked me. I was working hard. I was doing a lot of work, making good cases. But I was looking around me and the other team, the the, the whole team, eight, nine people, they were not really gelling with me. They wouldn't talk to me. I was eating lunch by myself. I'm like, what is going on here? Well, several months after this, I asked one of them, I'm like, what is the deal? Did I do something? And they said, well, before you came over here, our supervisor told us that you were going to run circles around us. And I said, okay, well, that's ridiculous. So I'm going to do me, I'm going to do my job, but I need y'all's help. I can't do everything by myself. It literally takes a team of people to work these complex cases. And we'll get into that later when I talk about the book. In my book trailer, I don't say a team of one, a team of me, a team of I, the ones responsible for a 100-kilo seizure. I say a team, a team of six. So I want to say that because it's not always me, me, me. But at this stage in my life, It was me because I was being outcasted. Well, it wasn't that long after that the supervisor started to turn on me a little bit. and
0: Because you made him look bad, maybe?
1: Well, maybe a little bit, but also it had to do with who I was friends with. I was friends with, we'll say, a rival supervisor that he didn't like. So what it comes down to is politics.
0: And how old are these men?
1: Exactly. Exactly. And I've always said so much would get done, so much would be seized, and so much good would come out of narcotics units if there would not be the infighting and all the politics. But it's ridiculous.
0: Okay, so just give us a little bit more. Like, why did internal affairs tell you to shut down the case? Well, okay, hold on. Before we even get into that, Let's tell them what does Covert Results do because there's three main services that you focus on. And so one being armed security, which really helps me personally in my business because I know I can trust you. I know that I can trust all the team members that you have vetted. And so enable – I mean it really – enables me to do my job well and not worry about security when we're doing a celebrity wedding or a concert or a book release for a celebrity or people in the public eye. Having armed security and people who know what the hell they're doing to keep us safe is really important. So you've got that armed security aspect. Then you've also got the PI, which is private investigations, and then the training, which will lead into the book. So tell us a little bit about armed security and how you – are different.
1: So earlier you asked me what covert means, and that was only half of our name. So the second half is results. And that's just is how it sounds. It's results because we get results and they're proven results. And we have already have great reviews on Google and Facebook. So you can check those out. So that's why people call. That's why we're getting so many clients is because people ask for results and we're getting them. Um, private investigations, armed security, and training. So I'm going to talk about the armed security aspect that Angela was just talking about. And one of the questions I get often is, hey, can you come do security at our event? And I say, sure, no problem. So I ask how many guests you're going to have, which typically you want to have one guard for every 50 to 75 guests would be a great number cuz if you imagine if a fight broke out or some sort of emergency happened then imagine how one person is trying to control a crowd of one or 200 people so you want to you want to have as many guards as you can that are controlling any mass situation we don't do our unarmed security. We've been asked that before, and I say, look, everybody that we have is either active or retired police or military, and they've been trained. They have tons of training, CPR certified. They they know what to do in stressful situations. And if I asked them to be unarmed or come in a uniform without a gun, they would probably laugh at me. So typically someone asks for the unarmed because they just don't want to pay which is okay, and I would just recommend them calling another company. But just remember, you pay for what you get. And if something terrible was to happen, God forbid someone pulls a gun out and starts shooting, how in the hell is someone unarmed going to arm themselves? It's not going to happen. So some of the armed security things that we've been able to accomplish over the last year is the armed security at different venues, different wedding venues around Nashville and surrounding counties. We do one large conference that's held at a, well really the largest hotel here in Nashville and we do a conference where we provide armed security for that. So we're trying to get into more conferences because We wear uniforms, we look nice, we know what we're doing, we're all trained. So that's really the armed security aspect of it. The second one, which I already mentioned, was private investigations.
0: And tell us, like, your favorite story in your first year of entrepreneurship, of being a PF.
1: Well, I have a few. I do have a few. I don't even know if I can talk about one because of how prestigious or high profile this person was but long story short they were looking for a drug dealer so I'm not sure why they called us they did look at my background in narcotics however I told them they came to the wrong person if they're looking for dope then I'm not the person because I don't want to be caught up in a conspiracy that was probably one of the oddest conversations and persons that I met with Um, There is another case that sticks out in my mind where it was a cheating spouse uh, set up at 5 o'clock in the morning. I watched the male come out of the female's apartment. Actually, they came out together. I was taking pictures. Well, one thing that I like to do with my clients is keep them up to speed, up to date. One way that I know we're different is we utilize the internet. We utilize technology to keep our clients up to date. So a lot of our cases will go on the Google Drive. We'll simply add your email on there and you can see what we're doing while we're doing it. And we'll keep reports. We'll keep pictures and videos. And you're able to see that all on your phone or your computer. So in this case, it actually bit us in the butt a little bit because I updated the client so quickly that they got so pissed off that what I found was true. She called the husband, I'm sure now ex-husband, and basically said, I hired a PI and they're following you. So the guy started doing evasive moves and driving crazy and going through parking lots. But I recognized this activity and behavior very quickly. My job for years and years and years was to follow people around. So... At one point, you just decide to call it because it's like that Kenny Rogers song, know when to hold them, know when to fold them. You have to know when to fold them. You have to know when to pull off that you're burned and just come back again another day because whatever these people are doing, guess what? They're going to be doing it another day. So that was a case that sticks in my mind. I got burned because the client <laughs> was so pissed off. So I should have waited and just gave him the evidence, an hour or two later, but either way, I got them the results that they wanted, so to speak, even though they didn't want it to be true. However, we did succeed in our job.
0: Okay. So the training aspect of things, I know you mentioned earlier, just the opioid crisis for people who don't really know what that is. Like, what is that exactly? Cause like, I don't watch TV. I don't watch the news. And if I didn't, If we weren't raised around these types of things, like, I guess I just wouldn't pay attention to it unless it, like, has directly, personally affected me, which I'm allergic to every drug (laughs) that a doctor writes, pretty much, for any pain medication. So, I I don't, I understand it's highly addictive. I mean, I worked in mental health, and I get it. But, like, what exactly is the opioid crisis?
1: (laughs) Obviously, you don't even know what it is. You can't even pronounce it. So... Basically, opioid crisis is used, the word opioid is used interchangeably with opiates. And people, people now just refer to the epidemic as the opioid crisis. Many, many, many people have died over the last several years, actually over the last decades, really, because of heroin. So what's going on is, is probably about five to seven years ago, China started producing a product called fentanyl. It's been around for a long time because people have heard of fentanyl patches. What are they used for? They're used for cancer patients, basically. If you have an extreme amount of pain, then those fentanyl patches can go on your arm, and they'll relieve that pain. So when China started producing a lot of the fentanyl, they will ship it to Mexico. Of course, this is an illegal drug, and people, part of the cartels will mix the fentanyl with the heroin because the fentanyl is cheaper. So they're taking a product that's cheap and mixing it with another product, and that's why you're having so many overdoses and deaths is because fentanyl is so potent, potent that when they're shipping it across the border, however it's getting here, whether it's coming across the Mexican border or coming through Canada or coming up through Miami, once it's hitting the streets and getting distributed and people are even adding even more things like dorming, for example, or some type of sedative, then it's making it more powerful, more dangerous. So if you're a user of heroin and you think, well, I'm just going to shoot a little tenth up, well, it may not actually be heroin. It could be fentanyl. So when I encounter these people on the streets that were using, I told them to look in the mirror and think, this could be my last time that I used. I could die when I put this needle in my arm or when I snort this heroin it's because you don't know what's in it. So if you don't like your own life, then, you know, unfortunately you could use and die and it happens. And the problem is, is, is there's not a lot of options right now. And people that do use don't have very much money. They don't have insurance, so there are options out there. And I recently joined up with the Drug Free Wilco. They're a coalition out of Wilson County, and I share my experiences and my background with them. And I have a small role with them, and they often do events and push out resources such as the Red Line. And you can call those people if you are addicted, and they will help you whether you have insurance or not. So. I know I went off on a little tangent there, but basically the opioid crisis has been an epidemic for a while. I was seeing this firsthand working in narcotics. I actually got exposed to fentanyl. It was one of the scariest times of my life. I thought I was going to die.
0: What happened there?
1: Well, I was doing ounce heroin buys from a local dealer in Nashville and went back to the office on a Friday afternoon. I field tested the product which that was my mistake. I should not have done that. However, I did, and when I had the bag open, it was airborne. It didn't touch me at all. I had gloves on, and the product, like I said, was airborne. It got in my lungs. I couldn't breathe. My head hurt. Um, I was thought I was going to pass out. Like it was my, my tongue was numb. My fingers were numb. My hands were numb. And I'm like, How, why are my fingers numb? I have purple gloves on. But you know what? It's dangerous stuff, and it's airborne. And luckily, there was one person left in the office. I was able to put a gas mask on, bag the stuff up, and I lived. And that's great. So I was able to figure out that it was pure fentanyl. So we worked very quickly to bust that dealer and got about two or three ounces of pure fentanyl off the streets. So that was uh, that was an accomplishment there because we were able to get that stuff stuff off of the street.
0: So from a training perspective, I know that you go out to schools and chambers and you've become quite the little speaker and you've become really damn good at it. I'm so <laughs> proud of you. And um, and we kept talking about, you know, how can you engage the audience more and what can you give away to help educate? And what are some of the stories that you wish that you could let the public know about? Because, there's some dirty things that go on. And this is a problem everywhere in the entire world. Like I've been in different countries before, and I'll never forget. Somebody walked up to me and they're like, You want Yayo? And I'm like, What? Excuse me? <laughs> you know, like my dizzy little self. I'm like running an event and I'm like, Do you need something? Like, I'm and and then I'm like Googling it. And I guess that it was like cocaine in a different language. I don't know. But it's like, you know, you would think that I'm just a little bit more aware. But I I try to treat everyone nicely and with respect. And I just I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't understand you. And I just like walked away. Remove yourself from the situation when you don't feel comfortable clarifying. And I clearly was not comfortable clarifying. Anyway, so you wanted to write a book and it's called Gray Nashville. And this is just
1: that's not what it's called.
0: Oh, (laughs) it's called Gray. Rise and fall of 1422, 22. which 1422 was the case number that consumed your life for how many years? Two and a half. One and a half. Okay. One and a half. So still consuming my life. Okay. It's still consuming his life. So share with us. Why the hell did you write a book? How did you get through it? Like what was the process like of doing your first book? And, What have you learned so far from your book?
1: So going back to my time with the police department, it was about 2014, and I was reassigned or promoted or selected over to the Drug Task Force. And this is exactly where I wanted to be ever since I started the police department. So within six years, I made it to the unit that I wanted to be full-time because actually I had done a case the year prior, where I was only temporarily assigned over there, that was a wiretap as well. But I won't give you any details about that because that's probably going to be either the second or third book. So we'll just stick to the current book that I wrote, 1422. So in 2014, started a case with the Drug Task Force. I utilized a CI, or confidential informant. We went out purchased one ounce of cocaine and... Basically, turn that into a wiretap and you need to prove that the dealer is distributing at least 300 grams of cocaine or more to obtain a wiretap. You have to have a lot of probable cause in order to get a judge to approve a wiretap order. It's the most evasive type of investigation you can get because you're listening to someone's phone calls. You're living someone else's life and I had to do that for over a year And it was awesome, but all in the same time, it sucked. And the book details all of that time and all the obstacles I went through. But the gist is we took one ounce of cocaine and turned it into a record seizure worth more than $3 million. It was over 100 kilos of cocaine after it was all said and done. We seized almost $2 million cash, 20-something houses, almost 100 vehicles, hundreds of guns. Pills, heroin, motorcycles, everything you could think of, we seized it. And it was awesome. I mean, the biggest impact was we were able to place conspiracy charges on about 70 or 80 people. And that really does have an impact in the community because not only are you getting the, in this case, the Hispanic drug trafficking mules...
0: Wait, what's a mule? I know it's an animal, but what is a mule?
1: <laughs> Basically, it's a lingo term that means someone that's that actually hauls the dope. It doesn't mean that they are typically the boss because the boss isn't really going to touch the dope. And they're typically on the other side of the border make, calling the shots, making the moves. So the mules will be the ones that are actually bringing it, whether it be via bus, plane, or car. They'll bring it from the Mexico-Texas border and bring it to Nashville. And then once it lands here, they usually deliver it to someone else or put it into a safe house or something like that. So in this case, we had all of those. We had bus traveling. We had tractor-trailer traveling. We had kilos of cocaine and money stuffed in hidden compartments and vehicles. So we had everything. And we were able to use trackers on people's car. We were able to use cameras on poles and trees. And we had so many different ways of working the investigation, and it never stopped. And through it all, through the record seizure, I gained weight. I had an eye twitch. Still working on losing that weight right now, but... It was, it was an experience like no other, and there's hardly anybody that will ever experience that type of case. If you think about it, there's about eight to 900,000 sworn law enforcement officers in the United States and probably 10% maybe work in narcotics specifically and then I would say even less work anything related to a wiretap. So put that in perspective, there are 1,800, well, I think the numbers went down. A lot of people have been leaving, but there's about sixteen to 1,800 sworn officers in Nashville, and on our unit alone at the 20th Drug Task Force, which no longer exists, there was six of us. So if you only have six people out of 1,800 I may not be very good at math, but that's less than 1%. So
0: so since that doesn't exist anymore, what has that done to the crime rate in Nashville?
1: Well, if you live in Nashville and you're listening to this right now, I'm sure you can turn on the news. Get a gun! <laughs> what she said no um you can pull up your news channel four five two apps spock 17 any news app around here you're going to see crime you're going to see shootings robberies carjackings all the above and you have to realize that a lot of crime circles around drugs it's totally true you cannot deny it let me give you an example i personally had my truck well they attempted to break in my truck And, yeah, it's just a little car burglary. They're looking for some change. But what you don't know and don't realize is that person that's trying to break in the truck is looking for money to go buy more heroin. How do I know this? Because I've caught people like that. And the guy that tried to break in my truck admitted to that. So he was addicted to heroin. So Wait, you caught him? Yeah.
0: The guy that you caught on your ring footage? What? You didn't tell me that. So one day I'm like in the middle of meetings, and I he sends me some video, and you know, I watch it later, but I don't, I don't I'm like, what is this? And he's like, it's some motherfucker pra- trying to break into my truck. And I'm like, is that you? Is that you running outside screaming at some guy in a car? Like, I mean, why Why wouldn't you just shoot him? And so I like had to watch it a couple times cause I've like never seen him act like that before. And it looked like some crazy person like screaming at this truck. Which, by the way, if you don't have a ring doorbell, get one. Because it's super, super cheap. And I think you pay like 30 or 40 bucks a year. And it's like, I can see everything out of my office. And you can see everything at home. And it's just a really great safety feature. So that was a little tangent. But you didn't tell me that you caught him. And he told you he was going to buy heroin. And this was at 9 o'clock in the morning, broad daylight, on a weekday, which most people work during the week, I guess, but you were working from home that day, right? That's right.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, that's pretty much the story, is the guy admitted that he was a heavy user of heroin. He was about to go into rehab. So that's what they they actually let the guy just go on to rehab. And I think they're going to indict him for various offenses later on. So
0: But wait, how did you catch him?
1: <coughs> well, I had a detective with Mount Juliet search the area. MJB Go Bears. He searched the area and he came across a truck that matched the description because I put the video on social media and I actually knew this detective and he called me and said, I think I found it. So I went over there, I identified the truck, but then I also utilized my private investigation skills, utilized some of the databases that are available to me and pulled up the address to the house, pulled up the people that live there, and I was able to narrow down by the description of the driver's license for those individuals of who it was. And there was no surprise to me when I found the name, who I thought it was, and looked at their criminal history. They actually have a very, very lengthy history. The guy was on federal probation for a bank robbery a year prior. The year prior to that, he was caught in the Bonas over off Lebanon Road, breaking into a vehicle, and the homeowner came out and held him at gunpoint. So this guy had a history of breaking into vehicles and his criminal history reflected that. So I knew we had the right guy and I identified him and that's pretty much it. So actually in that sense, it was kind of cool that I was able to use my own services for myself and find the person that was trying to break into my vehicle.
0: And clearly he didn't care that it was 9 a.m. in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) He just uh, needed some drugs. So back to your book. Tell us what that experience was like, and what are the three takeaways from Gray?
1: So talking about the book, you mentioned that I've been traveling and speaking, and you definitely have helped me with the speaking because I always think about what I'm saying as I'm saying it. I don't like saying, um, 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 or so, so, you know, you know, you know, you know. And you really think about what you're saying when you're saying it because you want to be clear, concise, and deliver a powerful message to your audience. So Angela helped me form a PowerPoint, which another thing about our training is that our PowerPoints are not your typical PowerPoints where you sit down, you look at a screen, and you have 4,000 bullet points and all kind of paragraphs up there, and the instructor is just straight reading. We don't do that. That's not cool. No one is paying attention if you are doing that. If you are doing that, that's old school stuff, and you need to change. Angela has got me on the right path, got me going the right direction, has helped me with the speaking and the PowerPoints and everything, everything all the way down to choosing the business name to the book and everything. So I'm very thankful for her, for my wife, everyone else that have been so close to me and helped me write the book, my little team of people. And Aja, what's up, Aja? I know you'd be listening.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Aja was on the podcast this morning.
1: So some of the main obstacles that we've kind of hit on but didn't really go in depth, and I'm not going to go in depth because I'd like you to get the book. At covertresults.com, that's my website, I can deliver you a signed copy of the book. But one of the major hurdles to get over was in towards the beginning of the wiretap, the Internal Affairs Division was investigating a leak that we had. We found a leak in the investigation.
0: Like a water leak?
1: No, not a water leak. Like one of the targets knew that we were wiretapping his phone, so he dropped it.
0: So like a person.
1: Right. A person was the leak. They told the target that we were up on, that we were listening to, that we were investigating him. He dropped his phone, and it greatly impacted the case in the very beginning. So that was a some a major hurdle that we had to get over in the very beginning.
0: Now, wait. Was that leak related to someone that was on your team? Or, a, like, a, an agent? Like, am I making this up? What am I thinking of?
1: No, I mean, you're right around there. So, initially, the department thought that the leak was an officer that was assisting us. He wasn't part of the team, but he was just assisting and translating some calls because they were in another language. However, that officer was not the leak. And we initially told the administration, do not do anything to this individual, this officer, However they did, they stripped the man of his gun and badge and put him in timeout into a closet with dark room. I mean, it's it's crazy what they'll do to you sometimes.
0: Wait, like putting duct tape over your mouth?
1: <laughs> no, not that extreme, but it probably feels that way. So anyway, this officer was punished for a short time until he was cleared. He wasn't the leak. I know who the real, real leak was. Is it in the book? It is in the books. So you'll have to read it. Um, another another obstacle that we had to overcome was political change uh, within our office. We had a district attorney that was there for the unit the 28 years prior and was great, and then a new one got elected in. So, of course, there's going to be change. There's always change when you have leadership at the top like that but we did not think that it was going to affect us as much as it did and it was right in the middle of this case and there was several supervisor changes in our building as far as the people that listened to the wiretaps they were basically booted out told because you're part of this county that you can't do you cannot assist the drug task force anymore with these wiretaps so we had to reach out to other counties and get other district attorney assistant district attorneys to come assist us that's just I I don't know if that's hurdle number two but that was major hurdle number two and another hurdle such as our targets that we were listening to they found a tracker under their car (laughs) so yeah there was so many things that went on in the case but irregardless the end result was 100 kilos of cocaine We seized about 30-plus in December of 2014, and then in February of 2015 is when we started gearing up for more search warrants. We hit 50-plus houses in December, and then more than 30 in March of 2015, got about 60-something kilos then, and hit a place in Texas. In total, it was over 100 kilos of cocaine. So it was a record in Nashville. We did so many search warrants, so many great things, and made a great impact on the city. And the book covers all that. You're going to find lingo that was talked about over the wire, some weird stuff, people talking about birds and four and a baby and four ways and just some interesting stuff.
0: Are these code words?
1: Yeah, it's going to be code words.
0: What's a bird mean?
1: A bird means a kilo.
0: And what's a baby mean?
1: It means a half. So, like, if you want a four and a baby, that means you want four and a half ounces of Coke.
0: So, if I were buying something from you, like, what would I be saying? Like, give me an example.
1: What do you want to buy?
0: A block. I mean, a block.
1: (laughs) I mean, I'm sure I've probably, somebody's probably referenced that before. But, I mean, if you actually call me and say I want a block, I'm going to be like, what do you want? Because I haven't heard a block before.
0: I'm making it up, like a block of Coke.
1: Well, a block, I mean, it could be a kilo. It's 2.2 pounds. That's a lot. You don't need that much.
0: Okay, just give me a sentence with a bird and a baby.
1: (laughs) Well, a bird (laughs) is a kilo, so, I mean... So,
0: I'd be like, hey, man, I want to buy a bird, or I want to buy a baby. Like, how do people talk?
1: Yeah, pretty much. I mean... Can I get the number on that baby? Or let me get the, what's the ticket on that on that four-way? Or what's the ticket on that Nina? That's nine ounces.
0: Nina? That sucks for girls whose names are <laughs> Nina.
1: So, I mean, there's a lot of lingo out there. Nine is common because nine is a quarter key because there's 36 ounces in a kilo, and nine ounces would be a quarter of that. So, I don't know why these people do with what they do, but, you know, drug dealing's a thing. It's been around forever, and it's never going to stop, and they're going to continue to bring drugs into our community, and it's going to continue with crime.
0: So, if people are interested in hiring you for security, hiring you for private investigations, um, if they need background checks on employees or vendors or anything like that, how well, and you just go to covertresults.com. And if you're interested in the book, because you are doing a book tour to educate communities, not just in Nashville, but really all over the place. I mean, you just went to Washington to get your book in the hands of city official legislation. What?
1: Went to Washington to meet with politicians and handed it out, distributed my book to some congressmen just to make them aware of things that are going on in Nashville and how it's being affected. And, yeah, like you mentioned, I'm traveling. Uh, Part of my book tour is to educate. And there's several different different things I want people to know. And one big takeaway is be aware of your surroundings. One of the girls that assisted me in –
0: that's my computer being all productive. We got to wrap it up. So, you had a girl assisting you in what?
1: Yeah, Aja. I gave her a shout out earlier. She read the book, helped me edit the book, and really sincerely said, I never knew everything that was going on around me. I'm not aware, I don't have my eyes open. And that's one thing that I can do. I can make you more aware. Not necessarily you're going to be looking over your shoulder all the time, but just that you're going to know what's going on and you're going to pay more attention.
0: (laughs) It's like one day we were talking on the phone, and she's like, I'm sitting in that Walgreens in the parking lot where this deal went down, and I, I don't know if I should park here. I mean, it does. It just it makes you look at things so differently, and it just makes you look at life so differently. So, last time, where can they get the book?
1: Go to covertresults.com. It's also on Amazon. I've got to do a couple little tweaks to it, but it will be available on there for e-version. So you can get it again at covertresults.com. That's C-O-V-E-R-T-R-E-S-U-L-T-S.com.
0: So one story before we go, Um, I had done consulting with a venue outside of Nashville for a year to get them up and going. We had the first large wedding out there, and it was a huge Indian wedding. We loved the client, and uh, the bigger it got, the more we knew we needed multiple security. And so Robert was inside guarding, kind of just watching the house, and they had a big safe of gold jewelry and, and things like that. And I'm downstairs, I think, actually writing checks to vendors. Um, Not that I always do that. On the day of, this circumstance was a little bit different. It ended up being a big four-day event, load in and load out. That was really a cool time lapse. Um, But I heard this big thump, And I radioed. I'm like, everybody okay up there? And then nobody responded. And so I go upstairs, and there stands Robert standing over this little 70-something-year-old lady. And what happened, Robert?
1: So, yeah. Yeah, it was a terrible accident, but I actually watched it happen. And the lady had accidentally stepped on her dress and fell.
0: It's a sorry
1: I'm sorry, sorry.
0: No, it's a it's a dress that ladies get made in India. She had cute little wedges on.
1: Okay. Anyway, I was watching her walk through the foyer, which is a hard surface, and then as she transitioned from the hard surface to the carpet, she fell onto the carpet, but she stepped on her dress and fell. That's what made her fall. And... We didn't freak out. I radioed for a couple more of the security guards to come over who were all either active or former officers or retired officers, so we all know what to do. We don't crack under pressure. We don't freak out. We don't run and tell everybody. We don't ruin the party. We don't notify the guests or whatever. We just quietly go around. We notify who the lady wanted to be notified of what was going on. She said her leg was broke, which and actually her femur was actually broke, so it was a serious accident. However, one of the individuals came over and started talking about the transition strip and how it was uneven, so that was very unsettling for the venue, and they were kind of freaking out about being sued. So obviously that's the first thing that comes in mind, safety of the patrons and then being sued if an accident occurs. So what I was able to do is... Based on my entire background and how detailed, attention to detailed and complex that I was in my thinking, I was able to, at the end of the night, write about a three-page report for the venue so that they could keep that for their records. If attorneys got involved, they could see not only am I a retired officer, but I have such a unique background And my attention to detail played a large part in that. And knowing that this was just, in fact, an accident, it was not a broken tile that the lady stepped on or something that fell from the ceiling, it was just, it was just a terrible accident.
0: And because that happened, again, everything happens for a reason, that turned into a really a full-time opportunity for covert results to provide security for every event. That venue is like, it is now mandatory. It is not an option because we have got to legally ensure that we are covered. And guess what? You don't know what you don't know until something happens to you and your ass is drugged to court to be subpoenaed. And when you're the planner and your butt's on the line, you better cover it. That's all I got to say about that.
1: Right, exactly. And that's one another part of our training is we teach a course called courtroom testimony and it is exactly how it sounds we teach you to testify in court how to testify in court things you might get asked your demeanor what you all the way down to what you wear even the colors that you wear <clears throat>
0: what color would i wear to court
1: you'd want to wear black black dress maybe blue scarf or something like that but you don't want to bring too much attention to yourself but you want to be clear and concise. You want to have good posture. You want to you always want to practice before you actually get up there because it is nerve wracking to have a bunch of attorneys asking you questions. So that's just one leg of our training. In we do several different several different classes, but yeah, we were able to help the the venue out, and it did turn into a great opportunity for us.
0: That's awesome. All right, we're out of time. We could talk about this forever. So if you're interested in learning more about Gray, then be sure to check out the website. All right, one more thing. Really, last time, for real
1: sorry i was going on a tangent about the security part we are insured we have multi-million dollar policy so we carry that and we have the experience as well but just note that if you're dealing with a private investigator or an armed security company that you need them to be insured it's very important so we do carry that uh, multi-million dollar policy
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time and get back to investigating and spying on people and all the cool things that you're doing. Um, what is the next big thing for covert results?
1: Well, I'd like to keep traveling and talking about the book and educating everyone. And one big thing that we have coming up in June is we are going to CrimeCon We are sponsoring a table, setting up a vendor table where we will be advertising the book, Gray. We're going to have some cool things down there. If anybody's in New Orleans and want to stop by, I think it's June 7th, 8th, and 9th. So it's going to be pretty awesome. I'm going to have one of my best friends with me, Carnell, who is a huge big-time executive at Dell, so he knows how to sell things.
0: Well, I like Apple, but... It's okay, Carnell. You can still dance. I still love you.
1: Yeah. So basically just keep traveling and spreading the word and telling people to never give up. It's never too late to start a book or a company or a business. And I'm highlighting all the obstacles that I was able to get over during my time, not only with the book and the one case, but also in the time with law enforcement and also the effects and how everything affected me uh, in my life. You know, we lost dad all while I'm trying to work these cases, and it was tough. And I can definitely relate to people, and that's pretty much it. Just encourage people to never give up
0: keep on going, keep on going. All right. Thanks so much for listening today, y'all. This was a long one. We could go on and on forever. If you have questions, check out the book, check out the website. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to tune into Business Unveiled next week so you never miss the juicy details on how to grow your business in this noisy, creative community. Have a great day. Bye. If you found this podcast helpful, please share it with your friends. And I'm so very grateful if you leave a review. Be sure you are a subscriber so you never, ever miss the juicy details of Business Unveiled. Also, be sure that you are part of my email list. And if you're not, sign up today at AngelaProfit.com, where I share valuable resources and exclusive products with only my subscribers. Now, before I go, I want to ask you, if you have a story or a product to share with the creative industry, please let me know. To be considered as a guest on Business Unveiled, visit AngelaProfit.com and submit a podcast guest form. Until next time, remember to stay productive and profitable. You've been listening to Business Unveiled with Angela Profit. Join us next time as we share our experiences to help you be more productive and profitable in your creative business. For more great resources, visit angelaprofit.com.